Hello and welcome back to Podark Podcast. We're a podcast dedicated to the Podark saga in all of its various versions. My name is Rita, I live in the UK, I tumble at Princess of Podark and tweet at Rita Byte. Hi everyone, my name is Delenda, I live in France, I blog at British Liso on Tumblr and I tweet at Delenda Dia. I am Michelle, I live in the States, I blog at Poldark Muses on Tumblr and I tweet at Musings. We are currently biding our time until season 3 of the modern adaptation begins in June. Eek, so exciting! <laughs> But before that madness begins, we have a book club to finish. This will be the last podcast in the series dedicated to our reading of The Four Swans. So again, if you're avoiding season 3 spoilers, then this is not the podcast for you. And please leave us to our spoiler-filled readings, and we will be back with you with another 1970s commentary track very soon. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so for book club, we are uh, this week discussing the last 10 chapters of The Four Swans. That covers book three, chapters one through 10, or chapters 25 through 35 in the Audible audiobook. I personally can hardly believe we've come to the end of one of the best and worst books in the Poldark <laughs> series, depending on your point of view. Uh, this book has caused a lot of angst in the inbox and with our participants, so I'm looking forward to what they've had to say about it. Uh, speaking of our participants, we were hosting a contest for book club where we will reward the next three books in the Poldark Saga to our most consistent participant over Four Swans. Those books are The Angry Tide, The Stranger from the Sea, and The Miller's Dance. Interestingly enough, we have a three-way tie between BPAC67, Absolutely Addicted Poldarky, and Amanda Poldark. We'll have more on how we'll solve this conundrum at the end of the podcast. Uh, like I said, this book has been the cause of quite a bit of discussion and debate on all sides of the situation. I believe we've managed to provide balanced insight from our perspectives, as well as the opportunity for people with differing opinions to share their thoughts without fear of being maligned. A comment from Amanda Poldark seems to suggest we have, quote, fair warning, I know what follows here is probably going to be divisive. I took care to tone down my usual way of framing this argument, but I figure it may still not be enough. I'm also glad that y'all have been great with hearing me out so far. Absolutely, and I look forward to our sharing our thoughts about um, the questions that came up in just a moment. So ladies, shall we dance? <laughs> the first question was, what or who has struck you the most in these 10 chapters and why? This could be a specific person, storyline, action, or situation. Amanda Poldark says, I think the first time around I kind of skimmed on Caroline's storyline, but I found myself paying more attention now. BPAC67 said, I really enjoyed and found fascinating the internal monologue we get of Ross's feelings and thoughts about Demelza, their relationship, and Hugh. Absolutely addicted Poldarki said, Demelza and Hugh Armitage. This situation has not only assisted me personally in delving deep into my own discomfort issues, but I have a new respect slash better understanding of Ross as he grapples with his wife's infidelity, emotional separation, and his trying to understand the why behind all of this death slash loss. 
Gals, what did you think? Um, I would say that the the character that struck me the most is Caroline, and uh, particularly uh, the issue with um, being pregnant. But I think we'll be discussing uh, more about this uh, later, so dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Uh, For me, uh, I think it was the growth that we see in Ross's character, and I know we'll be talking more about that in just a bit. Um, so sorry to be predictable, <laughs> uh, but because this is not my first time reading the books, I have tended to focus more on the periphery characters. The first time I was just trying to get to all of the roster mails and stuff, <laughs> but this time I was really interested in the surprise Sam and Emma confrontation <laughs> that played out in uh, the wrestling match. It was just really fascinating. Like They hadn't spoken in a year. And that scene where she drunkenly goads him, I really, really love the way this relationship has played out because it's all under the surface and between the lines and it makes every encounter like charged and exciting to read. And I'm so looking forward to see this play out on screen because this is a relationship that will really lend itself to the subtleties of a performance. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be pretty amazing on screen. Um I've got my fingers crossed for so many things. Uh, when it like comes a to, will day, one day vibe. <laughs> yes, yes. But anyhow, with some wrestling burn in. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> okay, so um, speaking of wrestling, question number two: uh, Ross wrestles with his mixed loyalty between the gentry and the miners. What do you think of this new mature Ross? Amanda Podark said, I think he's definitely improving in terms of his leadership skills. He seems way less impulsive and more refined in the way he considers multiple points of view. He still has his iconoclastic resistance to authority, but he's more willing to work within the system's lead for social change now compared to earlier in the books. His growing influence in politics plays into events later on in the series. However, he's still not mature in the area he needs the most development in, but more on that later. Vipak67 says, I think Ross's experiences in France with seeing the consequences of the French Revolution has had an impact on Ross's view of the riots and the havoc that lawlessness can cause. In helping round up the rioters, it was interesting Ross still felt, still felt guilty and uncomfortable about having to do it. Also, he used his position and influence that he has now in society to help the miners by trying to get one of the rioters, John Hoskins' death sentence reprieved. Absolutely addicted Poldarki says, I like this Ross, the maturing Ross. Older, maybe wiser? Well, at least he is maturing. My heart goes out to him as he deals with the dirty work of arresting the riot ringleaders, finding it distasteful. As much as he dislikes it, he needs to admit he has grown and evolved into a man of some importance. Girls, what did you think? Uh, I just love this Ross so much, it makes my teeth ache. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's probably one of the reasons I defend him so much in this book. Um, He has matured, he's grown, he still makes mistakes, I think, because it is his relationship with Demelza that centers him, where he has no defenses where being vulnerable in that space means some of the deepest hurt imaginable. Um, So I just love M.P. Ross. Yeah, I've said this before on the podcast, but I much, much prefer, like, this version of Ross. 
He's always had really good intentions, but I think he's learning to become more pragmatic and logical in his approach. And he's learning to, like, gasp, compromise. Oh, my, oh my God. God. <laughs> a miracle. Uh, I love the Ro- that Ross becomes a member of Parliament story for, like, various reasons, including how it enlarges the scope of the saga. But I especially love it for the growth of Ross, the character, because I think it forces him to take a broader look at the whole country and not just settle into this sort of myopic view of Cornwall that he sees. Yeah, I I agree with you. Mm. I think I think one of the the passages that I enjoyed the most was when uh, he was finally um, coming to agree to run for the seat and where he's laying down all of the things that he wants to make sure he will be able to do if he pursues this. And, um, you know, one of the things that was mentioned, if I remember correctly, was the um, the vote to abolish slavery or the, the act of uh, you know, going to Africa and, you know, bringing slaves over to the the West Indies for, you know, farming and, and that kind of thing. Uh, so seeing seeing Ross being kind of in, infused into some of these areas of history, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, and personally, I agree with Amanda Poldark when she says that uh, he definitely needs uh, more development in the personal um, area, because <laughs> I always thought that Ross was um, smart, but he always acted in a um, childish way um, when uh, dealing with uh, the issues uh, with the community and uh, how to deal with uh, his love for the his community and the fact that he's um, a part of the gentry. So um, I look forward to seeing how it will be um, acted on screen and of course uh, how this will also um, influence uh, how this new uh, persona is gonna influence his relationship with the Malza because of course communication will it will it (laughs) that's the question (laughs) well obviously it does because we've got a whole bunch more books to follow after this, mm-hmm, but uh, mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they get to the point where they move forward. Hmm. Let's see. <laughs> okay, Demelsa's contemplations about that Tuesday trademark. Uh, discuss. Well, Tuesdays are ruined forever. <laughs> exactly. Amanda Podak said Demelza is admitting to herself that she did do something she didn't initially picture herself, but she's really unsure as to why she did it in the first place. There's more in favour in her mind towards an isolated moment of attraction, a sort of is-the-grass-greener moment. Her end conclusion, though, is key. She's still in love with Ross despite his flaws and is willing to forgive him for his errors. To me, that's very important about her contemplation. She does have a passing thought about the cemetery and how bad she felt after his return from Trenwith years before. I've weighed the other side to what I've been advocating in past book club discussions, but in the end, I still find myself do- going back to my old idea about Demelsa's motivation. I do realise this time around that my point of view is coloured by not having any similar examples in my own life. Winston Graham seems to be hinting that instead of two wrongs don't make a right, as we were all taught, 
Future events in the books may end up showing that two wrongs will fix this marriage. Demelza and Ross are beginning to hash out their feelings, which will definitely continue in the next book. As for Hugh, I actually don't hate him or even dislike him. I know most fans definitely don't like him because they believe he was manipulating Demelza, but I still don't like or agree with that. Uh, BPAC67 says Demelza is wrestling with and struggling to understand and justify her actions and feelings in her own mind. She mentions her suspicions about Ross seeing Elizabeth on the quiet, but then acknowledges that is an excuse. Demelza talks about whether she did it because she needed to be cured of an example wanting to know what it was like to be with another man, but dismisses that argument by stating whether she had anything to be cured of. She mentions feeling pity for Hugh, but then discounts that. I think on impulse, she gives in to this strong physical attraction and some genuine feelings that she has for Hugh when events present themselves of them being alone at the beach and Hugh informs her of his illness. Absolutely Addicted Poldarki says, Interesting how she contemplates Hugh's ridiculous statement. By giving love, you do not diminish it. Love only adds to itself. It never destroys. Dot, dot, dot. Tenderness is not like money. The more you give to one, the more you have for others. She tries convincing herself Hugh's statement is true. Maybe justifying her behavior with the idea of Ross possibly sleeping with Elizabeth. That Ross's love had grown for her because he'd been intimate with another woman's body. Then it's like she wakes up to reality. Tenderness is not like money, but neither is trust. Hugh, neither is trust. Neither is loyalty. You can give those away and they are gone forever. Though only a part of love, they are a vital part. I was relieved at this. Yay, she's awake! <laughs> a little late, maybe, but awake nonetheless. There is our common sensical earthy Demelza. <laughs> well, I wrote an entire blog post about this, so y'all go ahead and take the wheel. Um, I'll scrabble up some thoughts when you guys are done. So this is one of my favorite passages of the entire saga, because it's so well written, and the character of Demelza often feels underserved during the saga. But I think in this book and in this chapter in particular, you get some of the best writing of the saga, and it's in large parts because Demelza is an incredibly complex, a multifaceted, flawed character. And her introspection in the passage gives you a very honest and real account of a subject that can often be treated quite simplistically. The part where Demelza said she felt not so much guilty of her actions, but guilty that she might be caught, felt like brutal in its honesty and very true to human nature. She acknowledges that her feelings for Hugh were never that deep, and that she mostly acted on an impulse of lust and opportunity. Again, I find that to be very realistic. Most infidelities are not born out of the kind of melodramatic declarations of undying love that Ross and Elizabeth shared. Their unpredictable moments just complete dumbness. And because it feels surreal and authentic, I think I can appreciate the storyline in a way and empathise with Demelza in a way because this to me just reinforces Demelza as like a flesh and blood person. She's always felt more like a friend than a fictional character to me, sad as that sounds. <laughs> and so when she makes this mistake, I'm more partial to forgive her. Hmm. 
Let's see. Well, I do agree with you about how well this passage is written. Uh, it really is another bit of brilliance from Graham. Um, I do, however, disagree with you that DeMille's feelings for Hugh were not that deep. Because I think by the time she finishes her ruminations uh, in this section, uh, it's the first time she realizes that she is indeed in love with him. Uh, the the realization of what that means doesn't strike home until he dies. Um, and their encounter was anything but unpredictable. Uh, it was telegraphed almost from the first time the two laid eyes upon each other. Um, if she really truly regretted what happened, she would have tossed every one of those poems into the fire, but she doesn't because she loves him. Um, <clears throat> I do think, uh, you know, when you had said that it come, it, it, the, she'd acted upon an impulse of lust and opportunity, um, I, I do agree with you, you know, in that moment, there is a line uh, somewhere in that section um, where she she describes herself as almost opening up and flowering um you know during the moments before she acquiesces to to Hugh's um request to make love to her um you know so you know absolutely she was moved and 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 quite turned on by everything that that was happening in that moment um and uh you know i think i think one of the things that, you know, you mentioned is that this kind of act, um, the act of adultery, uh, can be handled very, on the, on the surface, very easily. But there are so many layers to what all is involved in the, the, the thinking of uh, people coming together and, and doing this, especially people who who love one another like Ross and Demelza. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty brutal and uh, intense and... Ay, 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 ay. But do we think that uh, if uh, Judd hadn't told her about the uh, graveyard meeting that maybe she maybe would not have given in? I think she used that as an excuse in that particular moment. Mm -hmm. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, it it's, was a passing just... excuse. I mean, it wasn't even something that that it wasn't had... the reason she did it. Yeah, though, it, yeah, it didn't even have the chance to really take root in that moment. Um, honestly, I think even if she if she hadn't found out about uh, the the thing with in the cemetery, I still think it would have happened. I still think it would have happened. It was inevitable. I don't know. Like, it's complicated. I think that that gave her a sense of freedom in that particular moment. I don't know if it would have happened in the exact same circumstances. Again, I think she probably would have put up more of a resistance had she not felt betrayed. Does that make sense? That I think this is one of those moments where we will agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I just feel like the foundations of their marriage had been rocked so severely that she had less of a reason to say no in that moment <sighs> I'm like I don't even know like I, I it's really hard for me to relate to the situation so mm -hmm. I'm sort of conjecturing but I do think it's impossible to take what Ross did out of this situation because I think it forms the fabric of their marriage and like the trust between them depends 
on his actions as much as hers. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, there there is that point during this section that uh, our friend absolutely addicted Poldarkey said was, you know, the tenderness is not like money. Neither is trust to you. Neither is trust. Neither is loyalty. Once you, you can give those away, but they are gone forever. Though they are only a part of love, they are a vital part. I think that, I think that that line there uh, speaks to what she has, she has lived with since uh, Ross went to Elizabeth. You know the, that yes, the two of them uh, have reconciled. That they're they have uh, been able to reestablish a, a deep and loving relationship, but it's wounded because of that trust, you know, and, you know, Grant, I I do have a few things to say about the whole cemetery thing in a little bit, but uh, I still believe that it would have happened regardless of whether or not she had learned about Ross's uh, meeting with Elizabeth. Fun times. (laughs) I do. Makes me want to weep, but, you know, hey. (sighs) Oh. Let's move okay, on. Let's, let's move on, yeah. Please. Question four. <laughs> it seems like Gorilla had had the last laugh on Ozzy. What are your thoughts about both of them? <laughs> Amanda Poldark says, uh, someone needs to hire a hitman to take Reverend Rapist out. Uh, Rowella, on the other hand, is an excellent troll. <laughs> she is a master at pushing his buttons. He's being forced to confront his own hypocrisy and create mental gymnastics to excuse his terrible behavior. Bifak67 says, A terrible thing to say where Rorella is concerned, but she and Ozzy deserve each other. I am thrilled that she outsmarted him. <laughs> uh, see, absolutely addicted Poldarkey says, Oh, Rowella, how we underestimated you. She is certainly capable of a bunch more than I had originally thought possible. She used her feminine wiles and intellect to outwit the immoral pig Aussie. Uh, the unfortunate downside is the lost sacrifice of her relationship with Moroena. But maybe Rowella, um, maybe Rowella was required in order to keep Aussie away from Moroena, and Aussie referring to her as a handmaiden of the evil one. Hmm. Maybe so, Aussie. But how desperately you want to beat her with a stick? It's all so disgusting, girls. I think Rowella would definitely be my favorite, or at least among my favorite female characters, if it hadn't led to such a devastating consequences uh, in her relationship with her sister. But uh, I think that Ozzy totally deserved this, and um, and yeah, so um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, o- Ozzy deserves this and more. Ozzy, Way more. Ozzy, Ozzy. But I don't know if I should like Rowella or if I should just like dislike her. Because <laughs> she's just so smart and how she uses her features to uh, to get what she wants. Yeah. But um, on the long term, how uh, it, it will affect her relationship with Morwenna, I don't know. Uh-huh. But I mean... I'm like not seeing the downside for Morwenna though. So it's like... She stopped her rapist from raping her constantly. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I think that that Ozzy um, deserves to be in this much mental agony, um, you know, for his horrible, horrible 
uh, behavior and attitude. Um, Morwenna, absolutely for the win. Uh, you know, the fact that she, she basically faked him out uh, with her pregnancy um, and managed to score a crap ton of cash uh, to marry the guy that I personally think she really likes. Um, you know, she's been spending a lot of time down in that library. Um, and so, anyhow, uh, you go, girl. I want her to teach me everything she knows, because she's <laughs> clearly a master manipulator and head bitch in charge. Like, <laughs> I've been longing to become someone as powerful as her. <laughs> Maybe not the sleeping with your sister's husband thing. Thank but you. in every other respect, the girl is amazing. She's legit sending Ozzy crazy. <laughs> He's going insane, and I love it. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to see some of this on screen. I really can't. going to be so good. Mm-hmm. Um, question number five. Ross finally told Demelza the truth. Do you agree with his assessment of his communication skills? Why or why not? Amanda Poldark said, First of all, him admitting what happened is already too late. I still believe even if it's more of a subconscious thing, Demelza knowing about the cemetery led her into Hugh's arms. His communication skills are still very lacking, but I don't think he's completely self-aware. He really still fails to comprehend how much his lack of communication has fueled so much of the problems in his marriage. Demelza is still feeling horribly insecure because he spent years not communicating. BPAC67 says, Ross is not the best in communicating his feelings and emotions to Demelza. However, in this instance, he is being harsh when he says in response to Demelza that his words never say quite what he wants them to say. I thought Ross was honest and reinforced how important Demelza was to him in talking to her about his chance encounter with Elizabeth and his feelings about her and Elizabeth. I think Demelza's reaction about not wanting to discuss it is not to do with Ross's communication skills, but with the realization that her suspicion that Ross was seeing Elizabeth on the quiet was totally unfounded, and Demelza trying to process her thoughts and feelings about sleeping with Hugh and betraying Ross. Absolutely addicted, Poldarki says, I agree with his assessment. His timing is not the best. I guess I understand this feeling of balance due to Hugh's interference and the resentment he feels. But Ross, maybe all of this could have been avoided if you had been honest with Demelza early on. It shouldn't take her infidelity to wake you up. Girls, what do you think? So I'm not gonna give Ross props for something that he should that should have happened a year before. I was mostly just underwhelmed with this because in his monologue he was like expecting her to like yell and fight him because his words never like mean what he says or something. And when she didn't have the energy to do that with him, he was, like, weirdly resentful about her. Like, I was just like, what is this attitude, Ross? This is not the attitude you have to communicating with your wife. I just don't understand how he can be so awkward with his own wife. And I just feel like when he, when he's, everything is going wrong in his life, he's going to project uh, everything on Demelza. And when everything's going to be, like, good everything's going to be a go well, then it's going to feel like, okay, well, I can talk to her. She's going to understand why I've been so distant and just know, like, she's not at your disposal. And uh... 
a year later we'll talk about this thing that happened. Like, no, that's not okay. Oh, you guys, just wait until you're married for a few years. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> this is why I'm avoiding it. Yeah, <laughs> Shit I mean, like honestly, um, I can understand where this difficulty in communicating um, with the person that you have chosen to to be with uh, and have loved for a long time how that that can manifest itself and so I, I tend to have a little more sympathy towards um, towards Ross in those regards and probably more um, anger towards Demelza because I suffer this same problem <laughs> You know? mm-hmm. And and I guess that's why I you know I've got some pushback on this. You know why doesn't Demelza tell him that his failure to communicate is hurtful to her? You know, so I'm not entirely defending Ross's decision to withhold his encounter with Elizabeth from her, but I know that there's a part of me that that's getting a little annoyed at all of the grousing about this flaw in his character being all of his fault. Um, you know, Demelza is, is forthright. She's got a mouth. She's got a conscience. She has feelings. So say something, you know, and the, the two of them have been communicating about their feelings much more openly and honestly in Black Moon and Angry Tide than they ever did in the preceding four books. Um, and I, I dare anybody to disagree with me on that one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, nope. but uh you know why is that happening and it's because of ross's infidelity you know he knows that what he did hurt her and um and of course the the argument for the next the next thing would be well then why didn't he say something um <laughs> um but you know he even presses demelza to share what she's feeling and experiencing with the attention she's receiving from Hugh, uh, which, you know, I think shows extraordinary personal growth uh, within Ross. Um, And I also want to remind folks that Demelza began hiding Hugh's poems from Ross long before she found out about his encounter with Elizabeth. She didn't tell Ross about all of these poems that were coming to her from Hugh. You know, anytime he he reached out to her to to talk and and tell him about, you know, what she was feeling and, you know, what her concerns were, you know, it's not as if she wasn't enjoying the flattery and attention this other man was giving her. Um, And Ross trusted her to use her common sense around the situation. And she made a decision not to, you know, right from the beginning. Um, You know, and in the end, she casts off all excuses for her behavior other than that it was something she wanted because she was in love with you, period. Um, for me, at least, it puts her on the same level of the playing field as Ross. Uh, she is human. She is flesh and bone, flesh and blood, like you said, Rita. Um, and she is completely off her pedestal, um, whether folks like it or not. I just think they're trapped in this completely unhealthy, passive-aggressive <laughs> notion because even like Ross finds the poem from you... And then doesn't say shit about it. Mm-hmm. Like, these two are as bad as each other yep. when it comes to communication yep. about these infidelities. Yep. Like, they're just a match made in passive-aggressive heaven. <laughs> well, and it's the, it is the relationship that, that has both of them at their core the most vulnerable. 
it's exactly. the it's the the relationship that centers both of them and when you're in a relationship like that it's very very hard to say something about something that basically takes you from you know the the high level of maslow's hierarchy of needs <laughs> down to I just, I just need shelter right now, you know? Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it, it is one of the things that it is, is it is so fracking real. Um, yeah. And I think that's the reason why we tie ourselves up in knots over this stuff is because it is not a fairy tale at all. This is life, reality shit's gonna happen and you have to deal with it and sometimes you deal with it in a really bad way <sighs> okay deep let's move on, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> okay question six drake finally sees marwenna discuss amanda poldark said i felt so bad for drake he knows marwenna is unhappy and yet he can't do anything about it because now she's so far above him in society. Even though he knows it's the right thing to let her go, he can't now. BPAC67 said no matter how hard Drake tried to convince himself Morwenna meant nothing to him, when he saw that slight smile she made towards him when she left the church, he melted. Absolutely addicted Poldarki says I love how he's unable to concentrate on anything in church since seeing her, and then the sadness, how he notices the change in her, how she has terribly changed. He realizes her life with Ozzy has distra distressed her, how he felt sick to look at her. His thought that it really was over for them broke my heart, that the dream was gone, lost forever. And then it all changes. When the congregation is finding out and he sees her looking at him, she smiles. I love how Mr. Graham describes the change. Her whole face changes, lines disappear. Eyes were warm again, and for a few heartbeats, he was embraced by it. Oh, the two of them. Melts my heart. Girls, what do you think? Um, I don't have anything nice to say about this. <laughs> I just, I don't. I was going to get into a whole rant about why I don't like it, but I'm just going to keep that to myself. <laughs> it was cute, but um, a little too soapy for me. <laughs> It it was. I, it, it's funny when you think about the the relationships that the the Karn brothers have with these these women uh, in their lives. How the the one with Sam and Emma has so much complexity, um, so much meat on the bone, and the one with Drake and Morwenna is so bubbly it's just this this <sighs> kind of thing i mean i admit i i i loved the way that graham uh shows how that connection is still there um and i also found that it was interesting it was a similar thing that happens uh between demelza and hugh uh later in the book although obviously it's not as intense um you know when Demelza first sees Hugh um, for the last time, you know, his head shaved and he's got leeches on him and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And, and the look on her face is, you know, enough to make Ross go, what the fuck? 
is going on. Um, you know, it's it is how that kind of glance, how that can change your your life. That quick glance can change your life. Did it really change their lives, or was it just a continuation of something that had been going on for years? Like, I don't know. It just felt very like, of course this would happen. You haven't seen each other in years, but one look and you're like in love with you again. Like, really? <laughs> could be. Uh, could it, it very well could be. I don't have anything nice to say. <laughs> I'm going to stop. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Caroline's mysterious illness is revealed. <laughs> Do you think she's being serious about her viewpoint or children or is just being, you know, Caroline? <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> Amanda Poldark says, I think she's serious about her dislike of children. Some women don't believe they would make good mothers. I think she's pretty perceptive about her personality. But of course, there's a lot of societal pressure for her to become a mother. She definitely loves Dwight, but there is no such thing as the pill in 1796. <laughs> and condoms were only used by sex workers. Yeah, and those things were nasty. And they didn't even wash those. Like They were nasty. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Um, BPAC67 says, um, I think Caroline might be a bit nervous and scared about having a baby. And she hides those feelings behind comments about babies being disgusting. Absolutely addicted. Podaki said there may be an inkling of truth to her viewpoint being an independent-minded woman and a woman of means who speaks her mind and is honest to a fault at times. She never seemed to me to be the, quote, nurturing type, as Demelzer is, but... That being said, I think deep down she is thrilled. Gals, <laughs> what did you think? Um, I have feels about this, so y'all go first. <laughs> I don't know if she's thrilled. I think she's um, scared. I think that she uh, thinks that there are a lot of women who, when they get pregnant, they instantly get scared because they don't think they would make good mothers, but that doesn't mean that they would make bad mothers. And uh, I think she's mostly scared because uh, all her life she uh, she was only she was always looked after um, by her uncle Ray and um, her only baby was her pug so <laughs> i get that she, i get that she's scared and um i uh, i uh, at some point i thought that maybe she would uh, try and uh, have an abortion but she maybe uh, she know she knows that it would uh, destroy Dwight. I mean, he's a doctor, and the fact that he uh, he's about to become a father that would make him the uh, the happiest man in the world. So she wouldn't do that to him. So I don't know. I think she's scared, but at the same time, uh, she doesn't. She really doesn't want it. Let's see. <clears throat> My uh, I tend to agree with Amanda. Um, I don't think she wants kids. And uh, this, you know, this is from uh, the section of the book, page four ninety two to four ninety three. Of course I don't want the brat. Caroline, said Demelza. No, in truth, are they not revolting little specimens when they come? Really, I can't bear babies. Wrinkled, red-faced little tyrants, greedy, selfish, demanding, incontinent, full of crudities and wind, claiming the whole attention of an adult person day and night and never saying thank you for it. They're warm and moist and clinging and they smell of urine and sour milk and there are far too many of them in the world already. Everyone laughed at her, but she grimaced and said, No, I mean it. Dwight knows. I have warned him. You have warned us all, said Demelza, and we don't believe it. 
Uh, you have to think of succession, Ross said ironically. After all, the world is not a bad place. It would be a crying pity to leave it altogether to other people's children. Succession, said Caroline. I would not mind so much if I could breed a little Dwight, or even, God help me, a little Caroline. But one's own child, it always seems to me, turns out to be the living image of one's least favorite cousin. Or parent, said Demelza. Jeremy has my father's feet, but I dearly hope he has no other likeness. Everybody laughed again. I think, Dwight said, as the father of this particular embryo, I might be allowed to deplore Caroline's remarks. For my part, if it's a girl, I don't mind what it looks like, so long as it is tall and thin with auburn hair and freckles on its nose. You describe a monster, said Caroline. Was that some great aunt of yours? Seriously, said Demelza. They all stopped and waited then. She thought a moment, crumbling her bread, and then smiled. Will it not be lovely for all of us? Um, I honestly think that if Caroline were alive today, I'd hazard a guess that she'd, uh, to say that she would be among those of us who made a conscious decision to remain child-free for their entire lives. Uh, it makes an interesting take on the character for my modern AU that I think I'll have to, to ponder about. Uh, <laughs> many people who consider deciding not to have kids is selfish, but I believe having children because it's expected or because of succession, or because of, you know, whatever, um, you know, if one knows themselves not to be as selfless as one must be in order to raise a well-adjusted human being, and they go ahead and have a child, that, to me, is the selfish act. I mean, I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> I'm going to be honest here and say that my interpretation of the scene is, like, entirely clouded by later events of the novels. So I can't really make much of a case for it now. <laughs> but I don't think Caroline hates the ideas of children as much as this speech might suggest. I think this is another case of a slight partiality of hers to take a minor truth and embellish it for dramatic effect and sardonic monologues like... She's famous for this. <laughs> she um, is the queen of hyperbole. <laughs> like, remember the the one she gives about letting all the lower class starve to yes, death? Yes, yes. <laughs> and Dwight is horrified. <laughs> I think she probably finds babies, not children, but infants, particularly distasteful. And who can really blame her because they're just like smelly crying blobs. Sorry, all mothers, but <laughs> that's, that's, that's oh how I kind gosh. of use babies like until they can talk and interact with you and um that's something reiterated a few times in the later novels by caroline but we can discuss that when we get there <laughs> yeah and funny enough my favorite time around kids are when they are babies i love newborn yeah. babies i i I'm love a toddler fan i love little wee babies um you know it's it's when they start talking back and stuff i'm ready to ship them off to military school <laughs> Uh, Very just, George of you. Just kidding. Uh, uh, and I agree with her that, you know, she is spouting a whole bunch of hyperbole in this situation. Um, but I also think that there's an element of truth. Um, not everybody is jazzed about being a parent. Okay, question number eight. The whole wrestling match and the reasons behind it. Discuss. Amanda Poldock said, Dolly is such a dysfunctional parent. Only he would come up with this way to give his daughter away. <laughs> I think Dolly and Tom Harry wanted to figure out a way to make Sam abandon his strong faith 
by dangling Emma in front of him. At the same time, though, I think Sam may have been asking for too much from Emma. She doesn't want to be saved, and she doesn't see herself as a sinner. It's totally possible Tom Harry cheated because he's a thug, but I also think Sam realised that this match was no way a good basis for a strong relationship, let alone a marriage. Let's see, BPAC67 says, I think Sam agreeing to wrestle Tom Harry after Emma tells Sam she would come to his church meetings if he fights and defeats Tom Harry shows the length Sam would go to to get Emma to be part of his world and how much he loves Emma. Absolutely Addicted Kolorki says, Oh dear Sam, willing to risk his neck for the soul of Emma? I love the Karn men. Always following their hearts. So brave. But, being a religious man of principle, he doesn't much care for his followers' support. It embarrasses him. Quote, It's wrong. I should be here. I believe he threw the match due to his realization that two unchristian motives came into play. Revenge and lust. His thoughts on how, of how could a man indulge in, his violin, in this violence for entertainment speaks volumes to his character, so he will sacrifice his heart and do what is right. Girls? I have so many feels about this, and I'm not sure that I'm eloquent enough to express them, but I shall try. <laughs> um, Buckle up, people! The, set- <laughs> <laughs> the setup for the wrestling was amazing, in most part because Sam is completely nonplussed about the heckles for him to join, until... Emma is the one to issue the challenge, and he only responds to her, which I think removes any kind of ickiness I might have felt about these guys fighting over her, which is essentially how they view it. She's the one that issues the challenge and decides the stakes, which is an indication to me that she's the one pursuing him now. And that's how I see it. Emma's the one laying out an olive branch and trying to get Sam back into her life, Her disappointment that he didn't win, I think, is a sign that she's at least willing to try out a role in the connection. And as for Sam, I think his agreeing to wrestle and thereby re-engage with a part of his life he had left behind because it's so connected to his, like, quote, sinful past, I think shows a willingness to compromise on his part that we've not really seen before. He showed himself to be human and fallible, and he let his love for Emma and his feelings get the better of him. In a way, I thought his, this humanised him, and I think it did a great deal to open Emma's eyes to him as a fully rounded, fallible person, and not just the preacher guy that's obsessed with her. <laughs> and I really, really want to see this play out in season four, because I think the visual manifestation of Sam's fight with his principles and his love for Emma is just, like, super cheesy. <laughs> in an anvil of a metaphor that really really works for me because it's such an interesting and different way of telling a love story i mean it's basically a love triangle between sam emma and jesus (laughs) when else are you ever going to see that (laughs) oh gosh Oh, Lord. Well, I suppose in, in one sense, you know, the sound of music was uh, kind of wound up being a love triangle. <laughs> and I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I must say I appreciated this the second time around uh, much more than I did the first. Uh, really loving how this is this is coming up coming about um, in the book and look forward to mm. seeing it manifest itself. 
But Rita, when you said that uh, Emma is the one uh, issuing the challenge, is it because that is it because she's too proud <laughs> to just talk to him and confessing oh, yeah. her feelings? <laughs> I mean, I think it's really interesting that she's had all these conversations about her feelings for Sam mm. with Drake and Demelza. <laughs> like, not Sam. Not she Sam. won't go yeah. to Sam and be like, <laughs> hey, Sam, I love you. She, but she's telling his siblings. <laughs> Complete weirdo. Oh man! Pride and religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, question number nine: Ross's realization about the depths of Demelza's affections for Hugh and his reaction. Amanda Poldark said his reaction is based on pure jealousy and possessiveness, and shows very little concern for Demelza's feelings. In a way, I wish he felt even worse because he still hasn't felt the depth of pain Demelza did after his night with Elizabeth. As far as my own reaction to Hugh's death, I feel badly that he never got the chance to meet someone else and move on. I was even more sad he died on this reread. I have that weird soft spot for him now. Vipak67 says, I think when Ross sees Demelza's face when they visit Hugh at his home, ill in bed, he realizes how deep Demelza's feelings are for Hugh. I think it gutters him and he is then shaken to the core when he finds the poem and reads it. Really love the dialogue from this part of the book and how he describes Demelza as the center of his life and his world. He was affronted by events, depressed, angry, the way they were turning out. It disturbed him and upset him to see Demelza so distressed. It upset him that she was so emotionally involved and her face today in that sick room had betrayed more than it had ever done before. Yet this melancholy, his anger seemed to go even deeper than that. His moment of utter loneliness now were all symbolically pointing at him, at his life, at his family and achievements, and showing them up hollow and empty and without purpose or future. For what purpose had they if the center were gone? It was also interesting how Ross, when writing back to Nempara after hearing the news about Hugh's death, draws the analogy with the feelings of devastation he felt 14 years previously when writing back to Nampara after the news of Elizabeth's engagement to Francis. He'd lost Elizabeth to Francis back then, and he feels now that he has partially lost Demelza because he believes she had fallen, fallen in love with Hugh. Nice parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely addicted Poldarkey said, I felt for Ross here. Even with his previous questionable behavior, my heart broke for him while at Tregothan. When he witnesses Demelza's heartbreak at seeing Hugh, unrecognizable, head-shaved leeches on forehead, it is when he realizes how deeply she feels for Hugh. Ross delves into the dark recesses here, questioning his life, his family, achievements, how they were hollow, empty, and without purpose now. Oh, Ross, we realize in this moment of reflection and dark sadness just how central Demelza is to his world. Girls, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I felt really, really sad for Ross because when Amanda says uh, that Ross didn't feel uh, the same amount of pain that Demelza felt after the incident, we don't know because he doesn't He doesn't talk. Like, nobody talks in Cornwall, so... <laughs> So we, do- <laughs> so we don't know whether it was uh, as devastating, and I bet it was. And uh, I really felt bad for him because it's always when he's about to lose something that he realizes how important it is. And uh, 
in that case, uh, the love of his life. He almost lost her to um, someone else. I mean, I don't think that Demelza would have left him for uh, Hugh, but uh, he he might feel that he lost a part of her that he will never get back because that part of her mm. will always uh, remain in love uh, with Hugh. And now that he's dead, uh, definitely. Well, now he knows what it feels like. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Damn. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Hugh had plenty of opportunities to meet someone else. He just chose not to. He chose yep. to continue to pursue the wife of the man who saved his fucking life. <laughs> I only wish Ross had left his unprincipled ass at the prison. Um, hey, they would never have made it across. To, to Cornwall without Hugh. I, true like, enough. I wish he'd then, made it all then, the way back and then, then died at the shore. Then that's, go, yeah, I mean, shove them out of the boat as soon as they get to, you know. You can swim I, back. I, I, I felt absolutely horrible for Ross. Um, and I think Aiden is going to fucking slay this. I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to this. And I know that. That y'all have been looking for Ross to suffer mightily now that yes. Demelza has been unfaithful to him, and I think it's going to be pretty brutal to watch, quite frankly. Um, as for thoughts that Ross is unconcerned about Demelza's feelings, you know, please hearken back to many of the things Demelza felt following Ross's infidelity with Elizabeth. Uh, you know, there were there were lines in there where she said she could kill him, that she hated him, that she raged at him. Um, most of that was internally, but, you know, she did fling a whole bunch of crockery around the, the, the kitchen. Um, you know, she jumped to conclusions, some spoken, some not, uh, you know, refusing to confirm his statement that he was going to Lou. I mean, he gave her the letter and she just poo-pooed it away and continued to think he was going to spend it with Elizabeth. Um, jealousy, hurt, betrayal, you know, you know, by the time we come to the end of Four Swans, they have both experienced this. Um, and also, note, we're only starting to see his reaction, um, to what happened, uh, because this will continue all the way through Angry Tide and results in situations that in some cases wind up being pretty life-threatening um, you know, in the way that he tries to cope with this news that he has. So he's going to suffer in his own way. It's not going to be the same way that Demelza did, but he's, he's going to wind up being pretty freaking miserable. Um, and uh, I think folks will, I, I hope that folks will be able to appreciate the amount of pain that he's going through. I feel really bad for him at this point, but um, as I've said previously, my reaction is coloured by the fact that I read the entire series. So later ev events are colouring this for me, and my sympathy for Ross only extends so far, because I think some of the methods he uses to deal with this devastation are straight up stupid. Like, he does really dumb things to cope with his emotions, mm -hmm. and... Um, I, I do not approve of all of them, but we will discuss that in the angry tide. Yeah. I mean, like I said, he's going to suffer in his own way, and it's not necessarily going to be something it's that folks are going to be happy way. with. Hmm? 
Ross picks really strange ways to deal with his emotions, like really bizarre ways. He, He's just like, what? He picks like starting a riot. It's like what? Well, yeah, he picks stupid, masculine, self-destructive, hormony kind of bullshit ways to deal with it. But he is suffering, and I think that's that's one of the things that uh, gets me a little spiky about it. Is that we may we may not approve of what he is doing, but it doesn't negate the fact that what the the motivations why he's doing it is because he is he is suffering. He is I wish suffering I could get emotion. Ross into some counseling though, because I just like <laughs> over the course of the the saga, you're just like, oh, you're doing this again? Aren't you like fifty? Shouldn't you have learned some better coping <laughs> methods, Ross? <laughs> like. Oh, God. I do feel bad for him, though. (laughs) Can you pick out a passage that strikes you as particularly profound or interesting? Please share it and why. Amanda Poldark said, I'm sharing the title drop passage. I totally ignored this the first time around, thinking that it was an omnipresent narrator describing the swans and not Ross. Now that I'm corrected, I find that strange because until this point, he really doesn't seem too concerned about Morwenna in particular. Near the bank were four swans, almost stationary, moving so slowly that they appeared only to be drifting with the tide. Each one was mirrored, duplicated in the still water. It seemed sometimes that they would see their own reflections and were admiring themselves. Then one or another would break her reflection by dipping a delicate beak. Graceful things, white things, like women, unpredictable, gentle, fierce, faithful or unfaithful, loyal or traitorous. God, who knew? A gust of gnats moved round him. He waved them away like beggar children. They departed as reluctantly. Smell of wood smoke drifted on the air. Leaves were turning color early. In the masked trees of the other riverbank, copper and ochre were staining the green. The swans were separating little by little, inertly, more, it seemed, like vagaries of the current than by design. The one nearest the bank had a more slender neck and a more graceful way of holding it, like a question mark. She drifted towards him, wings a little elevated, head to one side, fate or errant fancy bringing her. Then she suddenly turned away, foot lazily moving, rejecting any interest she might appear to have shown. Had he made no movement either to entice or rebuff? Four women in his life, four with whom he had been concerned this year. Demelza and Elizabeth, of course. Caroline? Who was the fourth? One of the swans had a damaged wing, feathers awry and stained. On Saul feast day, Ross had been turning to leave his pew when Morwenna had smiled at Drake, and he caught a glimpse of the smile. The damaged swan. Appropriate image. So she would stay while she remained linked to that man? But who was to alter that now, whom God had joined together? and his own marriage, and Elizabeth's, and even Caroline's, all in the melting pot, certainly his own. This was the worst of it, when he had thought his own the most deeply rooted, the most secure, like a rock, but the rock was on sand. One man, a likable man, but in his own way unprincipled, had come into their house and come between them. Now she was part lost, or wholly lost, he did not know. BPAC 67 says... I like the insight from Ross about the Melza. That evening, while the last light was still luminous over the seas, they made love, and he was aware, though he did not remark it, of a return of some warmth and richness in her 
that had been lacking these last months in however barely perceptible a degree. Not for the first time he was conscious of emotional lights and shades in his wife that could not be categorized, could not be named as sensuous or emotional as such, perhaps derived from each and gave to each, but in essence grew out of a deeper fund of temperament that it's that he still could not altogether apprehend. Absolutely uh, addicted Podaki yeah. says, make no mistake, we none of us come to port without risk of shipwreck. <laughs> I feel there's much truth in this quote slash passage. No one person ends up where they're supposed to be without getting hurt. <laughs> it speaks volumes, no pun intended, to this book. <laughs> that is a So girls, what were your favourite passages? Uh, my favorite part uh, was uh, Caroline <clears throat> announcing her pregnancy to Demelza and then um, uh, basically uh, stating her all of her uh, insecurities about motherhood. So, um, yeah. Um, I think the, the section where Demelza's contemplating uh, her infidelity, um, I think that that passage is so fantastic and I really hope we're able to, to see this manifest on screen. Um, I do, however, worry about it, um, considering how jacked up episodes 9 and 10 of series 2 uh, wound up being. You know, they were kind of garbled and rushed with critical pieces uh, missing from the, the, the story and a bunch of superfluous stuff added that did very little to convey uh, the emotions that were going on, you know, not only in Ross's head, but, you know, uh, the the two women uh, in his life, both Demelza and Elizabeth. Although I think we did get enough of that with Elizabeth in the window. And, um, <laughs> you know, Demelza being angry and feisty. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't get um, what we really needed to out of some of the, the thoughts that were going on within Ross. Um, he just seemed to be just a complete and total bumbling <laughs> idiot. Um, You're until, packing your bags? What? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that really frustrated me, and I hope that they don't make that same mistake um, for season three. You and us. Oh, sister. Mm. Um, my favourite passage was Sam's experience of the hanging and then the procession of the dead body home and, like, the thousands of people that came to march with it. I mean, it's way too long to quote. It's basically the entire chapter, but yeah. it was incredibly detailed and haunting and revolting mm -hmm. just to read. It was yeah. just scarring. And it really reinforced my good opinion of Sam who just goes out of his way to try and help people and be there for people in need. He's a really good egg. I mean, he walked how many miles the day before his fight? You know, mm -hmm. he's so compassionate. and yeah. Love him. I miss that. Oh, my goodness. You're going to be impossible during season three. <laughs> yeah, just you wait. I'm going to be like, why isn't he in every scene? <laughs> there are other stories, Rita. I don't care. <laughs> and the show is called Poldark, not Karn. <laughs> Spinoff. 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 Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, 
last question as always fill in the blank dear debbie i will be your fan forever if you include dot 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 in season three amanda poldark said ross having an intense visceral emotional reaction finding q's poem in season three yes Pack 67 said the dinner party announcement from Caroline that she's expecting a baby, the smile Moena gives Drake when she leaves church, discussion between Demelzer and Ross when Hugh dies. Uh, whether we see that in season three or season four, four. is in question. Yeah. And absolutely addicted Polarki says, once again, it's about what I don't want to see in season three. <laughs> No seal cave lusty love scene, no leeches, no smothering Elizabeth and kisses by Ross, and then I'll be your friend forever. Thank you, Deb. I, I kind of agree about the smothering Elizabeth and kisses by Ross. Like, if you actually showed that, it would completely change the meaning of the scene, I think. But, like, as a visual, it's going to be like, oh, he's betraying Demelzer again. You know, that's how people will swing it. So. Oh yeah, people will assume, people will do that. Girls, what do you want to see? There's more nuance in that. Um, the the scene with Demelza thinking about Tuesday. Uh, you know, after she's welcomed her husband home a bit more enthusiastically than she has for the last several months, because what guilt? Maybe so. <laughs> um, I really loved the Emma Demelza scene where they're pooking uh, blueberries and talking about Sam and oh, Emma's yes. like near tears and Demelza is like what you like my brother what um, it was yeah. such a great scene and it I think really it would is. be like wonderfully acted can you mm -hmm. imagine like uh, I would love to see uh, all of the scenes between Caroline and Demelza because we didn't really have that many um, in season two and um, <clears throat> I think that we all know that Caroline is fascinated by Demelza and her connection uh, to Ross and uh, so yeah I would love to see all of their scenes and uh, especially the scene when she will announce her pregnancy because I think it's going to be so funny <laughs> and Demelza's like this is great for everyone <laughs> not about Caroline's you Demelza like, but, but wait <laughs> okay finally question or observation of your choice this is optional but feel free to share whatever question or observation you've made about the book so far Amanda Polduck said the four swans on this reread around is even more emotionally complex compared to the first time around not my all-time favorite in the series but I'm viewing it much more favorably BPAC67 says I enjoyed being part of the book club thank you <laughs> sorry for my waffle <laughs> uh, look forward no. to see mm? no waffle it was fab <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I look forward to seeing uh, Paul Dark Season 3 and what they include from the Black Moon and the Forest Swans. Absolutely addicted Paul Dark, he said. What was Hugh Armitage about anyway? One last conquest <laughs> before he meets his maker? Was he so swept up in his own drama? Poor Demelza being subjected and naively taken in by his immature manipulations. I'm back to disliking Hugh and the whole situation. <laughs> Girls? <laughs> Um, rereading this book really reaffirmed my love for it. It's by no means a fun or light read by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but I think it's probably the best written in the series. I mean, it's tightly plotted, wonderfully complex characters, and like written with a sense of purpose. Some of the other books can feel a bit like filler. This does not. And it says a lot about the realities of marriage, attraction, 
politics, life and death, and the divide between the wealthy and the extreme poverty at the time. And I think people get too caught up in, like, the Demelza situation, and um, they don't really give it enough credit. It's a really good book. Um, I just have a general observation. Uh, I feel like uh, as we move in uh, the story in general, um, the books, uh, they get darker and darker, and uh, I just feel like <laughs> the just episodes are going to be... I'm just so sensitive. I think I'm. I don't. I won't even be able to watch certain scenes. Oh. I just know it. <laughs> Honey. <laughs> just think of all the seals. Think of yeah, the seals. Just, just those beady little eyes watching. Will do. Acres of seals. <laughs> uh, and you know, as for me, as much as I've said I've hated this book. Uh, it's mainly because it has brought up so many feels. Um, you know, I agree with Rita. It is a brilliantly written, well-planned novel that covers everything during that time frame and manages to develop even more dimension to these characters we love, then hate, then love again than I thought was possible. Um, while The Angry Tide remains my favorite, this one has come in second for me. And I have smelling salts here in case anybody thinks. <sighs> You know, I think we might have... Angry Tide is my favourite book as well. What? We agree on so much. <laughs> Angry Tide is, is, is so good. So good! I can't wait to do that for a book club. It's going to be fun. So, for our contest, we will ask each of our participants to select a number between 1 and 10. And the person closest, without going over, will win the books. As far as the future of book club, we've yet to decide if we're going to jump right into Angry Tide now or wait until after season three. Personally, I think it makes much more sense to wait until after season three. Yeah, me too. It'll get really confusing. Me too. And whether it's after it airs in the UK or the States. <laughs> so yeah, God. whether we do it in, say, August or we do it in December. Christ. That's that's what we're that's what we're looking at. Damn the shift in time so stay tuned for more information we'll we'll try and have a decision about it but it's complicated as you can yes. tell we're like what do we do but no we'll we'll have a decision made uh by next week so we have one message one message uh, one message from uh attorney msb3 um would like you ladies to comment if and when you have a chance in the books ross apologizes to Demelza and tells her he loves her. If I remember right, the graveyard scene was more or less Ross saying goodbye to an old love, Elizabeth. Do you think the new series will have Ross tell Elizabeth that he did not come back to her because he realized he loved Demelza and whatever there was or might have been with Elizabeth was over? I want the guy to man up and finish this triangle <laughs> thing. It's getting old and is exhausting. Thank you. P.S. Great job with the books, old series, and new series. Enjoy all your comments and opinions. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. We appreciate that. Ladies, what do you think? Was... Will Ross tell Elizabeth that he did not come back to her because he loves Demelza? I mean, in the books, he sort of tries to play it off as like, I love you, but we cannot be together. And he doesn't really bring Demelza into the equation, which feels kind of 
like he's trying to manipulate her, Elizabeth. I think that's kind of the intention with the kissing. Like he made her think there was still a shot. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, he... That's well, how he rationalizes it... it in his head to himself later on. He's like, oh, well, I wish I could tell Demelza that I made Elizabeth think I still loved her, but I don't. I don't, I don't think that that's what he does. God, do I, I have to read that section over again? I don't want to. I mean, to. like, I think that's almost, that was like my paraphrasing him, but that's Ugh. basically how he phrased the kissing. Um, uh... I... I don't like this interpretation of that. I pref- much prefer Ross just saying goodbye. I would rather he didn't bring Demelza into this at all, on a personal mm-hmm. level. Like I think, like whatever is between Elizabeth and Ross is between Elizabeth and Ross, and his feelings about Demelza, Demelza don't really are... come in. Just no. don't come into a factor with with no. like obviously not. Otherwise, he wouldn't have slept with Elizabeth while he was married to Demelza. <laughs> No, I, 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 I agree. I think that, you know, bringing her into, you know, this, this whole thing, you know, I didn't come to you because I realized I loved Demelza and, you know, no, don't, you know, he didn't go to her because he didn't, he couldn't. Exactly. Yeah. You know, what they had is over. Um, I tended to think that the, the, the kisses that he shared with her. Uh, in that graveyard, uh, if he'd kissed her on the lips, I'd I'd want to punch him. But the the kisses that he shared with her were more in sympathy with what she has to deal with, an apology for the fact that what his actions uh, back on that May night um, are having repercussions that he never intended um and he's saying goodbye you know i didn't i didn't see him as trying to get elizabeth to think that he still loved her or anything along those lines you know i think that he was he was saying goodbye and and i'm sorry i'm sorry for everything that i've done to you and um so i'm i totally think that he was sort of he was trying to <laughs> this is really hard to explain but I think like he was trying to manipulate the truth in a way as to not hurt her feelings even further than he has done like he wasn't going to talk about how he he didn't come because he realised he wanted to work on his marriage for a reason he didn't want to bring up Demelza because it would just hurt her further and she's already in like a terrible situation because of him like why would he bring up Demelza mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. It's just going to hurt her. I know that everybody out there wants him to ha- to make some sweeping declaration about how he loves Demelza and only loves Demelza and she is the love of his life and blah, 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 blah. You know, I, 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 I swear. If I could be in a room with Debbie, I would say, please don't use the line, love of my life. Ever again. <laughs> in episode <laughs> yeah. one, or in, in season one. Please don't do that. Because it's just going to wind up creating a shit ton of drama <laughs> um, and confusion. You know, it, it, it really is a case of, of our needing to keep the, the, the books and the adaptation 
as separate as possible because otherwise you, you you're gonna go nuts but i think in a way i know everybody wants the triangle thing dead mm-hmm. and in a certain extent it is but it's not really mm-hmm. like you it won't ever be over ever because like the, like we've said earlier the repercussions of the these two people having feelings for each other is gonna extend until always like it's yeah. always gonna have an effect on his marriage yep. his kids lives yep. his relationship with george yeah as much as you may want it to be over it's humans aren't that simple and these things have consequences it ain't over Okay, so um, unfortunately, we've reached the end of the podcast, but don't you worry, because we will be back with more from our series of commentary tracks of the 1970s adaptation, and every week the show gets wilder and wilder. <laughs> if you're a fan of the show and want to get in touch, then please contact us on Twitter at PaulDarkPodcast or on our Tumblr blog, poldarkpodcast.tumblr.com, where the Ask box is always open for questions. Thank you, and bye-bye. Bye, guys.